0: After <laughs> well, it's a special week um, in our lives. Uh, We want to teach them to take care of the things that they've received. Um, I remember years ago, my grandmother, who is now in heaven, uh, got me a gift I unwrapped it, and she bought me a size 14 woman's pair of pants. (laughs) And, uh, you know, I chalk it up for old age, and uh, so I did the best that I could to be thankful. And I went into the bathroom. Appreciate it, but they just weren't going to fit. And uh, so I, I think I'm the one that invented skinny jeans, if I'm being honest. Um, but seriously, I, I think that that we have to have a discipline to receive things well, um, and to show thankfulness and gratitude for the things that are given to us. It's a sacrifice for people to give gifts, right? Uh, they make a sacrifice. This is a lesson that I've learned selfishness, and we show gratitude and thankfulness, but also care. Care for those things that have been given to us. Um, as a kid, that's a lot harder, right? I mean, you, you get a gift, you want to go outside and play with it, and sometimes uh, you, you play with it to the, t- to the point that it's broken. Um, but even the way in which we care for the things that have been given to us is a reflection of our appreciation for the gift what has been given to us. Um, well, today I want to talk about the gift that God has given us, the gift of the human body. As we're looking at First Corinthians chapter 6, Paul is bringing to point the fact that we have been given this gift by God of the human body that we are to use for His glory. And as we think about that um, in connection with our service, uh, me, our gathering and the study that we've been going through in the First 1 Corinthians, you can understand why he is bringing this up, and I'll catch us up in just a second, but the thankfulness and the care relates to our bodies as well. You know, you think about body image today and the way in which uh, the culture tries to uh, manipulate What is a healthy body, all these uh, standards that are set, um, oftentimes unrealistic. Um, sometimes in this day and age, uh, a person looks nothing like the pictures that they post all, about their body or Which God ordained for it to be used And so I think this is a very pertinent yet not necessarily a great Chris, Chris, Christmas message But a great Christian message um, For us today Now for the Corinthians Them to live, the greatest expression of love is to expose sin and point them to the hope of the gospel. And of course, the Corinthians were not doing that. And so Paul is trying to pastor their hearts, and in doing so as a good pastor, he's trying to do it in conflict with the culture around them. And the Corinthian culture was one that um, had a lot to say about the human body. It had a lot to say, and so Paul has to fight against the culture that's infiltrating the thought process and the thinking of believers in the Corinthian church. Now, we've already seen this early on at the beginning of 1 Corinthians. The the thirst and the hunger for the people in Corinth to be full of knowledge, to have enlightened minds and great wisdom had so infiltrated the church that it had caused conflict in the church and even factions and visions because people were hungering for new knowledge and they were thirsting for new knowledge and it became an issue of anti-gospel belief and practice. They were looking to other things to uh, boost or enhance the gospel and the truth of the scriptures had given them in His Word. And so he's fighting against that in the culture and he continues to fight against that culture and he will throughout this passage and all of his letters as he tries to pass through the hearts of these believers. Another cultural issue that he have been dealing with that Paul fights against is uh, the sexual morality the pornea of this culture. Sexual sin was rampant among the people, and one in particular reference to our passage today, it was so rampant because the people devalued the human body. They devalued it. A lot of them, for for uh, with the influence of what is called gnosticism, and we'll we'll get into this a little bit more. It was an immaterial vessel that had no significant value or meaning. As they, uh, as Brother Raymond read earlier, just as food is for the stomach, so immorality is for the body. It's just a gratification of something material. That's all it is. And so it had no, in their minds, significant value or purpose on their spiritual well-being any more than eating a, a special food has spiritual significance for you. And so Paul has to say, no, no. God gave you this body. God has created and ordained and designed your body not for you to do what you please, but instead to use it to serve Him for His glory. And so Paul wants them to consider the gift of the body, see its purposes that the Lord has ordained inside the covenant of marriage and beyond. And so this will be our focus today. Next week, as we look at how God desires for our bodies to be used for His glory, as He has given them to us. And so, today we're going to look at this first number one purpose of our body. We'll spend time in verses twelve through fourteen today, as Paul addresses um, really the purpose of the body, what God has designed for it and intended. A couple passages that I want you to be uh, aware of, and, and the, these that you've heard for, for many years probably in the church. For example, Psalm 139, verses 13 and 14, which defines the very fact that God not only created our bodies, but created our bodies for purpose. He says, you formed my inward parts; you wove me in my mother's womb. I will give thanks to you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made, wonderfully. Soul knows it very well. Job chapter 10, verses 9 and 10. Job considers the idea. He says, Remember now that you have made me as clay, and would you turn me again into dust? Did you not pour me out like milk and curdle me like cheese, clothe me with skin and flesh, and knit me together with bones and sinews? You have granted me life and loving kindness, and your care has preserved my spirit. These passages are reminding us that God has made our bodies, He's created it. He's formed it with special purpose and design, and He didn't do so so that we might live in a world completely separate from His commands for our body, but instead to use those as tools for His purposes, for His glory, because He is intricately designed them for such a thing And his plan, and ultimately pointing them to the hope of the gospel of God in the Lord Jesus Christ. How will we do that if not for the proper use of our bodies, our minds, our mouths, our ears, our hands, our feet? You see, the problem with this is that just like everything else, sin corrupts the desire of God. That's what we've been seeing, just as much in the marriage. Between a man and a wife, the immorality corrupts the design that God designed for man and woman. So in the same way, sin has corrupted our understanding of the body. This is where the culture comes in. So much so that even today and throughout history, culture wants us to undo what God has done in our bodies. Culture calls for us to mutilate our bodies enhance our bodies, somehow try to eternally preserve our bodies through scientific discovery, all of which are are contrary to what God has designed for us. God did not design these bodies to live for eternity. He's going to give us new bodies. So therefore, with the time that we have on this earth, with this vessel that He has given us, we are called him. So you need to be aware, church, of what the culture teaches just as much as Paul's aware of what the culture taught the Corinthians about the body. For example, in our culture, many people look at the body as a god. I touched on this in the last couple sermons. But we take great measures to look a certain way to gain approval in the world. Now look, I look in the mirror, okay. I don't comb my hair anymore, but I look in the mirror and make sure that I'm dressed appropriately. But there's always a measure of vanity that creeps in when we find our identity in what we look like, what people will think about us based upon what we wear or how we smell or what we look on, what we look like in a bathing suit or an outfit or so on and so forth. And it consumes us. It consumes us to the point that we have taken our mind off of finding our identity and our uh, approval with a God who created us and made us this way. But instead, we have changed our direction to find approval by what we look like in our bodies and our shapes from the They want to be strong. They want to be fit. I don't disagree with that. I disagree in the same way that Barry Cooper disagrees who writes for Ligonier Ministries who says we celebrate physical beauty as if it's a moral virtue and the gym becomes our church. We cannot allow these things to be gods. We cannot allow these things to be anything other than the means and the mode. We serve the Lord You want to go to the gym You want to join a fitness club Do so for the glory of God And not the acceptance of the man But not only is the body oftentimes considered a God It can also be considered evil The body can be considered evil You're like now Nathan Who in the world thinks that the body is evil Well this is the Gnostic view of the body See, the Gnostics in Paul's day believed that all matter was evil. And only the spirit of a man that was given by God was cherishable and important. So the life goal of a person in a Gnostic view was to shed the physical body because the true uh, goal of life would be to give. In a sense, rejected the importance of the body. They devalued it. This comes into a big conflict with Gnostic theology and the humanity and the deity of Christ. The Gnostics would have said that Jesus put on temporary flesh, but then shed that temporary flesh as an example of how unimportant the body is, raising to new life only as a spirit not in bodily form. That's very different from a Christian perspective that says Jesus died in human form, was buried as a human, and rose victoriously as a, with a physical body, a new body and a resurrected body. In an article entitled Biblical Integration in Anatomy and Physiology by Elizabeth Sledge, she writes, Sled, she writes Contemporary Gnostic liberalism provides the foundation for these practices, abortion, infanticide, euthanasia, and the use of destruction of human embryos for biomedical stem cell research. Furthermore, body-soul dualism has led to the rejection of marriage as a male-female union, the redefinition of marriage, and transgenderism. So just when you think that, Gnosticism is not a contemporary issue, it's exactly the issue that we're in today. When the value of human life is non-existent in the minds of people who say that it's merely a clump of cells in the womb, not the life that God has created. Instead, we must see that the body is a gift from God. And with these purposes and designs, we must understand that in the future, just as Jesus Christ came into the world to redeem our spirit and our soul by dying on the cross and rising from the grave, he will also redeem our bodies. He will give us new bodies. Now, we don't have these now, but we look forward to these so that we never be without the gift of the body that God has given. These bodies are corrupted. These bodies are broken. These bodies have flaws and they have weaknesses. And these are often such a struggle in the Christian life. We're not just talking about the inward lusts and the inward cravings. We're talking about the joy aches and the pains and the sickness and the disease that literally every one of us is buried in some form or fashion right now. The loved ones that we will see this Christmas season that are plagued with sickness and disease. We are reminded that the hope of the gospel is the very idea that Jesus Christ will raise us up with new bodies so that we will no longer have to experience such tragedy. And this is our hope, church. And this is a a reminder of the value of the body that we have in this world. And so for the Corinthians, in verses 12-14, through they are being reminded by the pastoral heart of the Apostle Paul that they must consider their bodies with the purposes in which God intended them to be. So let's look at... And notice as he says, all things are lawful for me. Let me just take a, a, a side note and, and appreciate the uh, translation that Brandon read. Because you'll, you know, in, in his translation that the words quote were added. He said quote. Is that what your Bible said, Brandon? Quote? Or did you just add that? I just added that. Okay. Well, Brandon lies because. 6, all things are lawful for me. That is a quote. All things are lawful for me. Quote, end quote. And then he adds his commentary but not all things are profitable. And then he repeats it. All things are lawful for me. That's a quote again. But I will not be mastered by anything. Paul is dealing with a, uh, an issue in the Corinthian church body. In other words they would say well the body doesn't really matter it's not really important which is Gnosticism. It doesn't have any value or purpose. It doesn't have an effect on my spiritual condition. Therefore what I do with my body doesn't affect my, affects my belief in Christ and because I have freedom in Christ therefore I can do what I want with my body because of my freedom. And so Paul has to push back on that. And this motto that's being used, which Paul addresses with Galatians, that we have Christian liberty, that all things are lawful for me. They literally could have been using Paul's quote against him as a license for sin. But Paul wants them to understand something. Notice what he says. But not all things are beneficial. Not all things are beneficial. Paul gives clarity to their liberty with his commentary to say, listen, you do have freedom in Christ. And and because Christ has saved you, you have freedom. But let me define that freedom. Your freedom in Christ is never outside the boundaries of what God has ordained and spoken of for or against. Your freedom does not surpass that. Your freedom does not live outside of the Word of God
1: that guides and
0: directs our lives. And you by no means can use the liberty that you have in Christ as a license to sin against Him. I love how Paul responds. He's, he quotes, all things are lawful for me. But he says in response, but not all things are lawful But well, He doesn't. liberty, we push away from selfishness and what is, is meant to please us and satisfy our body and our flesh and we move beyond that to say what is best for those around me? How might I benefit people around me? And so when we think about the way in which we live in, in, in some Christian liberty we should not as believers think in such a selfish narcissistic way but instead say what am I doing or what am I being a part of that is not beneficial for those around me how might I be harming others while I'm harming myself or that I might have freedom in with myself for example in my household flowers are beautiful ornaments for our kitchen table and So she dies to herself, she dies to her liberty to buy those flowers, to enjoy those flowers, and instead looks beyond herself to consideration for others. That is Christian love. And Paul says, look, you have freedom in Christ, but your freedom in Christ should never supersede the love that you have for your neighbor. Care for them, love them. Calvin says everyone has liberty inwardly in the sight of God on this condition that all must restrict the use of their liberty with a view of mutual edification. How are you building other people up with your liberty, with your freedom? Secondly, Paul says not only are all things lawful for you, but you must not be mastered by anything. You must not be mastered. You must not be Enslaved to those very things. Again, in your Christian liberty, the Lord has called you to submit to Him as Lord, not allow other things to become your Lord. This is why we fight against addiction. This is why we fight against lust and cravings. And Paul is speaking specifically about sexual morality. But it, could, it, it, it applies to all modes of life. Are we mastered by these things in our lives today that take us away from using our bodies for the glory of God? If I could be confessional with you this morning, mine is often technology. I'm so consumed with having something in my hand, some kind of phone, some kind of social media feed, some kind of movie or, or some kind of music. None of those things inherently are wrong or simple if the material or the, the content is okay and, and, and not dishonoring to the Lord. But the very fact that I have to have those things masters my life. I have to fight against those selfish desires. One, because it doesn't edify others. And two, because I don't want to be ruled by it. Because Christ is my ruler and my Lord. And so in the realm of Christian liberty, Paul is stating that Christian liberty cannot be used as a license to sin. And it actually shows them that sin in itself is a master over us at times. And true Christian freedom is actually uh, freedom in Christ because of that which he has put around us as scriptural boundaries and guidance. Listen, you have more freedom in Christ when you are living under the bounds or in the the rule and sovereignty of Him than any freedom that you can experience outside of Him. For example, consider a wild mustang who roams prairie. We would think that wild mustang has the greatest freedom to go and do whatever he wants, but that wild mustang has never experienced the love and care of an owner. And as he roams in uh, the countryside, you can't remove the fear that that mustang may have of a predator or of a storm or any type of danger. In other words, that that mustang may see when we know what He's accomplished for us and how He commands us to live, because all of those things in His Word are for our good. They're for our good. They are the very fountain of life and sustenance and nutrition spiritually that we need. Therefore, our greatest freedom is in Christ. And the expression of that freedom then with our bodies is obedience. Around practices that would serve it instead of the Lord. I'm not talking about food or nutrition, general personal care. I'm talking about obsession. Obsession, Obsessive things that lead to a life of simple idolatry and not truly serving the Lord with our bodies as He's commanded. (laughs) We're called to renew our minds more than we're called to renew our bodies. And lastly, I just would add that true freedom in Christ is not believing that what you do with your body religiously earns some form of spiritual value or currency with the Lord. Your physical your church attendance, your Bible reading, scripture memory, family devotions, those are chips that you're cashing in with the Lord one day so that He might be pleased with your religious performance. Instead, we are called to rest in the freedom of Christ, rest in His grace, and use our bodies to serve Him because He saved us, not because we're trying to earn our salvation, therefore being enslaved to self-righteousness. So, really and truly, you could put quotations around verse 13, because this was the thought process of the Corinthians. Food is for the body, or excuse me, food is for the stomach, and the stomach is for food, but God will do away with both of them. And Paul says, No, that's not true. Instead, he responds, Yet the body is not for immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. We are called, therefore, a church, to use our bodies to serve the Lord. Paul says elsewhere in Romans chapter 12, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your what? Your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. God has called you of us to so utilize our bodies so that we might organize and plan and bring before the Lord our our strengths and our energies and our purposes and our strategies of life so that he might be glorified in us. All of our faculties presented to God. So we listen and learn Reading and prayer—that's pretty easy, right? This will get some of us. We use our mouths to sing to the Lord the songs that reflect His glory. Even though our voices may not be greatest, we're called to sing and make a joyful noise to the Lord, not considering the the, the the pitch or the tone or the melody or the rhythm. To disciple our children those of this world so that they may understand the hope that they can have in Jesus Christ alone. Paul tells Romans again in chapter 6 that we use our bodies in such a way that we should never allow sin to reign in our bodies, obeying its lusts. He says, Do not go on presenting to your members of your bodies the sin as instruments of. To God as those alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. For sin shall not be master over you. You are not under law, but under grace. So you and I, church, we wake up every day, and we're called to say, "How can I use my my faculties, my body today, to honor Christ and all that He has done for me?" Knowing that I will have aches and pains but not living as grumbling complainers with my mouth. Knowing that I might be struggling with disease but finding hope in the fact that God will raise up a new body for you today and will be perfect in every way when He returns. Knowing that the world may have lots of discouragement and tragedy and sin but yet using my mouth to encourage other people, building them up in Christ, pointing them to the hope of the gospel, instead of being critical about the things of this world. Because Paul wants them to see, as he concludes in verse 14, the error of their ways. But God has not only raised up the Lord, but will also raised us up through his power. body is not meaningless. It has purpose. It has value. And the resurrection is proof that the body means something to the Lord. He gave the Lord Jesus a body formed in the womb of Mary, fully God, fully man. He lived throughout this world with a body and yet without sin. So his sinless body, his sinless and corruption for sin that He literally willingly put upon the cross so that we might be freed from sin and given grace and salvation. His very bodily death and His bodily uh, burial and His glorious bodily resurrection are all proofs that not only does God value the body, but He will use the for the sake of His glory. As Christ provides redemption for our souls, He will also redeem our body and raise us up to new life so that we might find purpose and pleasure in how God has made us, that we will find purpose and pleasure in how God will use our bodies for His glory, and we will ordain ways in which we might use the different faculties of what He has given us with intentionality and purpose to bring glory to His name in every facet of life. And this is what I love about God's uh, intentionality and His uh, specific design with each one of us. Because we have all these different gifts. Some of you guys are uh uh, talented and, and gifted, others of, of us should not even touch instruments. And we recognize those as gifts that God has given us. And so we say, "I, I have this passion. I have this. The, the, the functionality of my brain works this way. I can read sheet music, or I'll put in the time to learn these things. How can I use that for the glory of God?" But it doesn't even have to be in the worship gathering some of you guys have been given hearts of compassion. Some of you guys have uh, the, the, the energies and the strengths of mercy to serve other people. Your kindness and your hospitality. All these things God has given you, how are you using it to serve other people? And I think it's the difference between when we come to the stoplight, We say, man, I don't have any money to get this homeless guy. So the next time I have cash, I'll bless this brother. purpose of two thousand twenty three where we want to initialize and bring about more structure so that we can operate as a church body accomplishing purposes in an organized fashion because that brings glory to the Lord and it gives for us to live in you, but they don't love Jesus. For us adults, that's the practices that we are engaged in day by day. Do they reflect the glory of Christ? We can't say that we love Him and we submit to Him if we're not following what He's commanded us. And so my prayer as we look through this passage, as you've heard today, and we will look again next week, you Day by day. But God, help us to see the body as beautiful. This beautiful part of your desire.